0: Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And this is a live broadcast. If you missed any of the the live show, you can always catch us afterwards. Uh, the show will be converted into podcast format uh, just a few hours after the show. And we'll be up on iTunes, Stitcher and a number of other podcasting platforms, so you can catch us there. Now, our next guest, we're very happy to have him on the show this week. Uh, I've been following his work for a while, and it's uh, incredibly helpful. Uh, his name is Richard Granin. He's a public speaker and a content creator on overcoming narcissistic abuse, childhood trauma, PTSD. He also has a background in martial arts, so there's a lot of interesting Areas that we can go in uh, with Richard and there's a link to his YouTube channel on on our show page. And so just click on his name on the show page and you'll get straight to uh, Richard's YouTube channel. There's a lot of video content on there. It's incredibly instructive. I encourage people after the show to go and delve in. So we want to thank you for coming this week, Richard, on the Sunday Wire. Thank you very much for having me. It's It's a pleasure to be here. Richard, I know uh, some people might be familiar with your work. The reason I was able to find out about you is actually from a close friend who was uh, following your stuff for a long time and just re- recommended He said, you've got to check out Richard's work. And uh, just for people who aren't familiar with your work, though, uh, just give us a, just a brief synopsis about you know how you got into this particular part of your life.
1: Uh, I'll try and be as brief as possible. For about 10 years, I was a martial arts instructor. And I was working online and traveling, teaching, and a lot of the uh, the people I was speaking to, they would be like ex-soldiers, bodyguards, uh, police, and so on. And uh, there was a consistent problem, which is that their relationships weren't working. So, because they knew I had a background in psychology, they would say to me, "Oh, I don't really want to talk to a shrink. Can I talk to you?" So I said, yeah, sure, you can talk to me. So then it became like a sideline thing to talk into the uh, the guys and girls who are like instructors and coaches in, in the martial arts world um, about their relationships. And it just dilated from there. I just went deeper and deeper into it and um, started looking at the concepts around narcissism, narcissistic abuse, psychopathy, and so on. And um, I realized that actually my whole life had been molded by this from childhood through to my relationships in adulthood. And uh, I really opened Pandora's box by mistake on that one. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It, and it can go just about as deep as you want it to go. Uh, but uh, I, I do recommend people, you, you know, check you out because you've designed some of your own, I think, systems. Um, Fortress is one of the systems that you're working on. It's kind of a yes. project um, and that's personal, kind of personal psychological protection. Is that the concept behind it?
1: Yeah, it would be, you know, a similar thing to what what we used to do um, where we're designing like training protocols or protection systems for people based on their objectives. This is a system uh, of recovery from uh, the, the most common mental health issues and the system that teaches you how to protect yourself from getting involved with psychologically predatory types of people seeing them avoiding them and if you have become involved with them how to deal with that
0: and uh, one of the the videos that I thought that got me on to our discussion hopefully we'll have today was you did a you did a video right at the beginning of the lockdown it was co- it was called asymmetric warfare oh uh, yeah <laughs> and you, you cut in bits of 1984 uh, yeah. with John hurt Winston Smith and and the, the commentary in it, it was just so, for me, it just really resonated at that moment. Yes. What was going on in my mind, but also everybody else's mind, because you could feel it when you went out for your first walk, your first government-mandated one hour of exercise mm. per day. I'm mm-hmm. down in Plymouth, and it was a very, it was a very dark, <laughs> I have Lord. to say, it was a very dark time, that first couple of days. Yeah. And I think you captured some of that. You know what was your first impressions? You know, from your background with what you do, you must be looking at this with a very interesting lens. Um, the well, whole lockdown situation. But go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. The the um, one of the things I would
1: say is that that video that I made just three months ago, uh, talking about asymmetric warfare, uh, which which sort of reports to be just me generally describing you know, a psychological technique (laughs) that was developed by the Brits and and carried on by the Americans Um, actually was me talking about what the government was doing to its people at that time. Three months later, I wouldn't dare release that video. Uh, I I think a week after that video was released, a guy who I just started working for, uh, David Icke, his channel was completely deleted. Um, So any kind of alternative narrative, anything that had a whiff of criticism of the government or the way things were going. We're just getting deleted or demonetized. So I actually wouldn't release that video now because I need to keep that channel. You talk about dark times. These are dark and strange times indeed. We have really gone in a very odd direction. And I see just in the last few days, uh, friends of mine who are YouTubers are telling me that YouTube is even demonetizing and deleting commentary channels now. Um, the the noose is really tightening uh, very rapidly uh, at, the, at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the commentary is is one of the things I think that does threaten the uh, I'll call it the information monopoly. Is yeah. literally people commenting on things. Analysis yeah. is actually more of a threat to the kind of ideas monopoly system, marketplace of ideas. But but you you, you I think you hinted at this and. You're, you know this this idea of you know shutting down shutting down the economy, shutting down society mm. to offset a future situation mm. that is it's it was really uncertain. It's still uncertain what that future situation is, but we've yet collectively individually and collectively had to pay a huge price for yeah. for that idea of a, a you know a, a, a train wreck down the road, whether it's the overwhelming the NHS in Britain or, you know, just... You know, massive uh, pandemic, hundreds of thousands of deaths, or I'm not sure what it is now, really.
1: Nobody it's, is. Nobody and, is. And 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 at the end of the day, you know, um, during this three-month period, I've stopped calling myself a conspiracy theorist. I used to say it ironically, um, but it is a derogatory term. And I just stand by saying I'm an official story denier. And if anybody believes the official narrative of what's happening with this lockdown— my God, I, I, I pray for you because you know, I I can't help you. Nobody can help you. The the official narrative we've been had is we've been fed is absolutely nonsensical. We have multiple nurses and doctors coming out of the woodwork saying this doesn't make sense. Multiple nurses and doctors across the globe openly and publicly saying that the uh, numbers of COVID deaths are being massively ramped up. I've got nurses across America, well, nurses across America. There's five different nurses from five different states emailed me privately telling me they're walking around empty hospitals and they don't know what the hell is going on. And they're telling me that nobody in the hospitals is wearing a mask, but everybody outside the hospitals has to wear a mask. It's lunacy. It's total lunacy at this point. There is no justification um, that I have seen for this lockdown. I mean, people forget. You know, there's. A, a, I think in America, I think it's something like fifty thousand a year die of the flu. The numbers massively overshadowed these numbers. We didn't cancel one flight. We didn't close one town anywhere in the world for for SARS for the SARS pandemic. And yet, for this thing, the globe went into a total economy crushing lockdown. This is. Nonsense, ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> yes, and and so so the elimination of risk. This is a this is a concept. Elimination of risk. Mm. And if you look at the school closures, uh, the teachers have gone on strike. Even though that you know students or ch- mm. children are no reports of children asymptomatic or spreading it to adults anywhere in yeah. the world practically, but yet massive school closures. I'm talking about the UK and Europe, mm. but but also about the United States. Um, so what is this? This this idea of elimination of risk. If you translate that into the kind of you know areas that you work in, you know OCD, where someone has an obsessive compulsive disorder, whereby they have to eliminate all risk. If you scale that up to a to a societal level, or start with an individual level and then you go up to a societal level, what's the what's the impact of that? Well,
1: I mean, I think. Uh, it would be disingenuous of me to try and answer this question without briefly touching on politics and certain elements of politics. I think all of us are beyond the uh, the straightforward left-right paradigm. It's not really so simple. There's also authoritarianism versus individualism. But there's an area of politics that we could call radical leftism or postmodernism, which is obsessed, completely obsessed, with trying to mitigate all external risk They're obsessed with trying to make the world safe, not with trying to make themselves stronger. So as in our politics, we've taken this weird uh, sharp turn to the most bizarre elements of postmodern Marxist uh, uh, radical leftism. So we are at the uh, every area of life. I mean, that's the perfect manifestation. What should you do when something is dangerous? Eradicate the danger. Make the environment a safe space, whereas on other, uh, as we plot through the political spectrum, other political views would be, well, actually, the, it should be to the individual. The responsibility is on the individual. Be strong. Don't just make the world less threatening, which is a good thing to do. Of course, I don't think anybody denies that. But we should also seek to be stronger, tougher, being able to think more clearly for ourselves, have a little bit of individualism. And they hate that. They absolutely hate that. So, yeah, I I, I'm sorry to go straight into politics, but I don't think that question is answerable without pointing to the elephant in the room, which is we are now into very strange waters as far as radical postmodern Marxist leftism goes.
0: Yeah, so so what you're saying is that there's no emphasis Uh, That I can see or I haven't seen, you know, on strengthening the immune system, for instance, um, you know, upping your vitamin D, your zinc levels, just lowering your stress levels, kind of being, you know, doing the things that you need to do to, like you say, become stronger and more resilient as an individual, The, the media government are not focusing on those areas there it's it's no wear a mask and wait for your vaccination and stay locked up at home basically
1: in psychological terms this is called a process of infantilization so instead of encouraging the client or the nation um to be tougher to be more resilient to be more stoic to find solutions for themselves you say just wait just sit still uh, by sitting on your arse, watching Doritos and uh, eating Doritos and watching Netflix, you're saving lives. It's disgusting. It's it psychologically, this is gonna. Well, I mean, the British nation is already psychologically crippled before this ever happened. But it will like make people worse. It will make people weaker. Um, have more. They they already are weaker. They're far more thin-skinned, far more entitled. But their whole demeanour is passive. They're just waiting to be given. Solutions, So they've sunken into further into consumerism, further into toxic passivity. It's interesting. There's a woman. I can't quite remember her name. I think she's a British lady. I think her name is Helen Poulton. And she did a project with an American guy where they released postmodernist papers about dogs who create rape culture in New York. Did you hear about this? No, no. They they did complete mockery of radical leftist um, scientific papers that get published. And they they faked their research. They said they'd observed men walking dogs in New York, and sometimes they let them pee, and sometimes they let them up. And they said, you know, this is a clear case of, you know, male heteronormative behavior, you know, all these words they use, encouraging rape culture in dogs. And it was published. They actually published a completely farcical report. I was listening to Helen speak the other day uh, on on YouTube. She does a fantastic lecture. She's, uh, She's qualified in CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And she says what this kind of radical leftism is doing right now is dismantling every coordinate of good, strong mental health that we're aware of, she said, "This is the opposite of CBT. Instead of making you stronger, more resilient, more stoic, it makes you weaker, more fragile, and more dependent on authority
0: figures. How convenient!" So, so this this dovetails with a a concept that you cover in in some of your your videos and some of your courses about. Um, when so, so, describe what it's like. Is this what it's like when someone? develops an ex, you know uh independence on the externalized externalized locus of control in other words this is a kind of victimization complex and this is where society you know, seems to be drifting uh with the, with the covid crisis but maybe if you could expand on that a little bit
1: yeah it's, it's absolutely that it's um so the Where I started out was identifying, you know, the the, the typical victim of narcissistic abuse, uh, typically called a codependent or a fawn responder or a people pleaser. And as, as the years go by where you're stuck and you can't escape narcissistic abuse, you're subjected to gaslighting, having your boundaries infringed upon, being exploited, being lied to over and over and over again. You, one as a human being, develops this new sort of persona in order to cope with the stress of that, and it is—it's um, absolute fawning codependence. Uh, we learn to love our enslavement. We learn to love tyranny. We become trauma bonded to the abuser Stockholm syndrome, um, even though they're the ones poisoning us, torturing us, abusing us. You know, as you mentioned, as you would see in 1984 between O'Brien and Winston, there are, and it's correctly represented in 1984, moments where Winston is taken off the torture table and he embraces O'Brien because this kind of stress destroys people's psychological boundaries and they they go back, they regress back to an infantile mode of seeing the world and then they're just looking for mummy or daddy. They, they lose the ability to critically think and say, hey, daddy was the one torturing me a second ago. They can't do that because it's a, it's a totally infantile state. And they just go, there's the authority figure. Let me cling to him, even though in a moment he's going to stick me back on the torture table and start torturing me again. So, yes, there is a, there is a whole psychology to this. If people want to know more about it, I've got videos on codependency and overcoming uh, the victim complex.
0: Yeah, so, so you're probably aware, Richard, that the, the the government within the cabinet office in the UK, there's the behavioral insights team, mm. and, and they're also advising or feeding into SAGE. This is the government scientific committee. And uh, some of their documentation was released recently that revealed that uh, you know, they, they were, had different techniques of be, trying to convince people that the problem is more serious than maybe it was. Or they didn't want people to think it wasn't as big of a crisis or a pandemic. And they were yeah. trying to head off all these different you know, ideas that were out in the, in the public uh, sphere, the yeah. ideas sphere. But trying to head it off using propaganda yes. and things like that. And uh, I don't know. Did, did you get a chance to look at any of that? Because to me, that says that the government is investing a lot of money into uh, behavioral modification and psychology in general.
1: I mean, I, I did. I didn't see that, but that's because I've kind of unplugged um, from everything because it was just starting to get on <laughs> nerves. Um, it is known that uh, the, the, the government here in the UK has, has been invested for a very long time, perhaps the longest time, with the most amount of passion uh, for um, PSYOP-style behaviour, you know, controlling uh, public perception, manufacturing consent, to use Chomsky's phrase, and... Um, and, you know, they're using techniques that go back to Freud that were then developed by Freud's nephew, Edward Bayonets. Um, so, yeah, the manipulation of psychology is absolutely standard operational procedure. It, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. And if you just watch the mainstream media, you can see by what they're saying, they're blatantly trying to make uh, present you with the case that the situation is far worse than it really is. I mean, it's not good to get sick. Nobody's saying that. It's not good to die. Nobody's saying that. But my God, people get sick and die every day all over the world and have done for all of human history. Most humans who ever lived, sorry to tell people, got sick and died. It's life. That's what happens But we're in this infantile state of like, oh no, not a single person, you know, not one person should ever die. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, why do you, why does everybody suddenly care about COVID deaths? They didn't care about obesity deaths. They didn't care about alcohol deaths. They didn't care about smoking related deaths. So why is this the death that you care about? And these numbers, by the way, in the UK are tiny. They're tiny, tiny, tiny numbers. The economic devastation that we will be living with, people make me laugh because when I used to talk about this publicly, which I stopped over two months ago, they would say to me, oh, just stay at home and wait three months and everything will go back to normal. I said, go back to normal. America is due to hit 30% unemployment before the end of this year. Let's Let's see how quickly we go back to normal. We're never going back to normal. We'll never go back to normal ever again. We have ruined the economy now,
0: ruined it. Yeah, no. This is uh, there's not only that you know it, people talk about the the mental health bomb as yeah. a result of this, the suicide uh, bomb. What what do you think about these two things? How how serious of a problem is the the mental health? Not just from a stopping services because I know services have really been cut or access to services have been cut, healthcare and especially mental health. What how do you think this is going to shape up? What's the potential? Uh, social effects um, from this COVID situation.
1: Well, we already were in a very, very, very bad place as far as mental health goes. Um, people I, I think everybody's walking around thinking that the way we are today is normal. It isn't. this is, this is uh, well I can't remember his name. It was a Russian journalist coined the phrase hypernormalization. People are cranky. they can't concentrate, they're frustrated. They're sexually repressed. They're angry. They're confrontational. They can't think. They're what to use the the, the lingo, uh, the psychology lingo. Everybody's emotionally dysregulated. So people come to me and they say, "Oh, what's it like when people are normal and they don't have PTSD?" And I'm like, "Who are you talking about? Everybody in this culture is traumatized to a degree. Some more than others, for sure. But everybody's on the spectrum because this is a traumatic way to live." All of us have been paying taxes into this system our whole lives. No choice. You have to do it. And now the system is turning around and doing this back to us. Of course people go into despair. There's a guy I know who lost in the last two months, he lost 0.8 million quid on his retirement fund. In, in eight weeks, nearly a million pounds goes, goes out of his retirement fund. So, yeah, I'm not surprised people are depressed, anxious, full of despair, we've all invested in this game. We've all been told, be a good boy, be a good girl, invest in the game, everything's going to be okay because it's all fair, and then this is happening. And I think even the people who deny that 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 we're not being lied to, even they are still not happy with the way this is being handled. They can't possibly be.
0: Yes, and, and the prolonged isolation, let's talk about lockdown, Mm. Prolonged isolation of an individual, and you know a couple of months could be is a prolonged period. Two or three months is a prolonged period for a lot of people. Limited interactions with people, starved yeah. of human connection, yeah. um couples, families, cabin fever as well with 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 families that you know you don't have the outlet of you know the husband can go off to the pub a couple nights a week and chew the yeah. fat with his his mates that helps to stabilize marriages in a, in a kind of indirect way. What, 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 do you, what are some of the main problems with lockdown uh, that you see with this isolation or uh, lockdown culture?
1: There's, um, there's a reason why across the globe, the worst punishment that you offer to the toughest criminals is isolation. Um, because it is known and has been known for centuries that it's, it's the hardest thing for a human being to endure. We're pack animals. We're tribal. We're tribal creatures. We're, we're mammals who have evolved in in, in groups, and so um, even I mean, I'm I like being on my own, and I'm I'm pretty resilient in that regard. Um, but even so, I can see changes, like sometimes physical changes in in, uh, in the hormonal system that I can only attribute to the fact that I've had minimal I think in three months I might have seen five humans face to face and mm-hmm. the rest has just been um obviously I see people at the supermarket I mean friends people who I would talk to and you can see even everybody's uh, everybody listening to this I'm sure is connected to social media you'll see your friends and family on social media their behavior changes their behavior has changed for some people it's worse than others but you can actually watch some people are beginning to psychologically unravel to the point where when people were coming to me with this, I would say, listen, if your friends, if your family are saying crazy things, just give them a pass. Just give them a pass for now because this lockdown is, is for some personality types, it's much, much harder than for others. I think
0: much harder. Mm-hmm. And, and we're also, you know, we're being pushed this, this idea is being pushed on everybody very quickly. I might add, it, you know, is almost within you know, a couple of weeks about a new normal and that means remote uh, you know, remote relationships, remote schooling, remote shopping, remote um, everything on Zoom, for instance, or um, Skype or Zoom or WebEx. and that we should get used to this um, because this is what the new normal is. There's so more time spent in these digital environments. Uh, more time spent on social media, more time spent on, on between Netflix and YouTube and social media and Zoom. What what is the impact of that? I know you probably had a qu- quite a bit of experience with people who might have, you know, had problems in this area of spending too much time in the in the virtual world and not enough time outside of the virtual world. And what what are the potential pitfalls there um, of the new normal? Well,
1: the, the first thing I'd like to say about that is, isn't it convenient that all of their solutions lead us back into a, a variation of the matrix pod? You know, you sit there, you're supposed to isolate, be on your own in your little apartment, plugged into Netflix, plug, plugged into mainstream media. Mainstream media has been dying. They must have never, they must have thought all their Christmases have come at once because everybody's now tuning in every day to get the latest figures and the latest news. Isn't it convenient that Microsoft released a new platform um, I can't remember what it's called. Um, It's like beyond zoom. um, And apparently that's doing really, really well. And you just think, you know, I I look at the end result and I I am paranoid and people should take into account that like I openly say I'm paranoid and then I work backwards and I'm like, well, maybe this is exactly what everybody wanted. The, the psychological problems this thing brings, are that you basically live inside of an echo chamber with no external feedback. Nobody's externally saying to you, well, that's not right, or you don't need to do that, mate, or there are other options for thinking about this. Everybody just lives inside their own little world, which infantilizes them, which damages their boundaries. It damages their resilience, makes them more impressionable, makes them more open to the propaganda and the the nonsense they're being fed. All I would say is, isn't that convenient? Whose agenda does that suit? That the solution that we've been offered, which, by the way, is slowly draining money out of the system. You can't use like I can't use money now. Everybody thinks that money is carrying the black death on it and that you have to use a card. But when you punch your numbers into the card reader, they don't spray it down afterwards. Exactly. It's It's absolutely madness. So, yeah, I just think, oh, yeah, this is convenient, isn't it that we just the solution just happens to be exactly what you wanted people to do anyway
0: so so if you're if you're living in a virtual environment and you you can and you're getting your fight or flight uh, your fight or flight response is being triggered constantly. you know mm-hmm. I, I hear this with people who are gamers or who use social media for long periods of time, they get so sucked into it, that their their physiological fight or flight mode is being, fired those neurons are firing and responses are firing, um, that can manifest potentially, so do you think that some serious physical problems can come out of that?
1: I think so, because, you know, uh, this is the problem with, with being inside all the time and living in the virtual world, is the, the curse of human beings and the great blessing of human beings is we have this... Compared to other animals, we have an exceptional uh, imagination and an exceptionally nuanced memory. There's no other animal that comes close, um, which is a great thing. But what it means is the cost of it is there are parts of our body and our brain that do not know the difference between real reality and reality that's vividly imagined. So you experience a nasty comment on Instagram as like a physical attack. You experience some... uh, um, you know, maybe an unpleasant or, or or disturbing news story as though somebody had actually come into your house and slapped you in the face. And because there's no, we're not evolved for that. We're evolved for real threat. We're evolved for the real world. So if somebody comes into your house and slaps your face, you slap them back and throw them out. What do you do with a news story? You just sit there soaking in cortisol, soaking in adrenaline, shaking with rage, and there's nothing you can do about it except maybe...
0: Write an angry Facebook post in response. <laughs> yeah, and um, the the other thing is this: this is there's a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure that you know a few. I I, I certainly do. That that see this uh, from a societal point of view, or at least from a government representative government and the people uh, that that social contract point of view. That this is the 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 COVID crisis, the lockdown is kind of a self-inflicted. Wound, If you will, and mm. you could say from an economic and societal point of view, it's almost like collective suicide, you could say. Um, so knowing this, what, what, is, what do you think if obviously you can extrapolate this to some individual uh, psychological cases with your area of study? But um, is there what, what what do you what is the best way to cope with this situation? Because a lot of people are struggling with that. Uh, struggling generally with this the, the whole crisis and the whole situation of lockdown the shock of it but it's it's knowing behind the curtain that uh, this didn't actually need to happen and there's a lot of angst uh brewing from that quietly i would say with with a lot of people um in in a in their be- best british stiff upper lip sense mm-hmm. um so how, how how is what is the best way to cope with this from uh you know, from a personal point of view, if if you want to make it through this um, with as least amount of uh, psychological damage, and I know I know it's hit more people up more than others, mainly for economic reasons, but but also for the reasons that we said before. But you know, how, how are you? What what are some of the things that you're looking at that you need to do to strengthen your position in a, a time like this?
1: I've, for me personally, and what I've been to to some degree recommending to people uh, as we go through this is to say, okay, what can you do? Keep looking for what you can do. Keep. They want to keep externalizing your locus of control. So they want you to walk around thinking that you're at the effect, not at cause and that somebody else is in
0: charge and that these things just happen, which is really dangerous because it, it breeds toxic passivity.